Uh, it's a blessing to be out here, right? Um, out in nature. Sometimes we're so confined to a building, you know, but uh, we wanted to, uh, you know, we have prayed about it and we're like, you know what? How can we celebrate, uh, you know, really just getting through this, uh, you know, this far in this pandemic and getting through the book of Acts, which we, we finished a, a couple weeks ago. And so we're out here today. And so hopefully you'll be blessed not only with the word, but also with the fellowship with other people and a good meal to send you on your way with. Amen. All right. We're. Uh, and I'm going to be dealing with that all morning. It's all right. We're going to be going through uh, the book of Revelation. We're going to be going through two verses this morning. As you know, is accustomed to how the Lord uses me. I, I don't bite off too much because uh, we could exasperate <laughs> these two verses for a week if we wanted to. There's so much in them. But nonetheless, we'll be in Revelation chapter one, verses six down through eight uh, this morning. Everyone's so comfortable. So I'm not going to ask you to stand. The last thing I would want is to someone to fall back in their lawn chair trying to get up. So it's all right. Stay seated. I'll go ahead and read the word. I'll go ahead and pray. And then we'll dig into our text this morning. All right. Revelation chapter uh, chapter one, verses six down through eight. And it's uh, it's going to continue from the last statement. So uh, if your version may start with Anne as what I'm reading is. So just don't get confused. Just kind of you, you backtrack a little bit if you need to get the whole context there. But it says and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you <laughs> that you are truly the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end, and you hold all things in your hands. Nothing catches you are off guard at all. You're totally aware of the circumstances that this world is in, and Father, you are uh, allowing these things to transpire. Your, your deepest desire is that those who don't know you would come to repentance, come to know that there is a saving grace in your son, Jesus Christ. Because when the clock ticks on our lives, that's it. And uh, there's judgment to be uh, placed upon every single person that's ever lived. And so you're gracious in giving us a new day. Father, we pray that as your word goes forth, it would land on fertile soil. That the hearts of those that are listening would be soft and receptive to your word. And that you would do the work that only you could do in a man and woman's heart. That's a transformation. That's a heart transplant. That's changing us from a heart that's stony to a heart that's soft and moldable, shapeable. For you are the potter and we are the clay. Even those of us who are followers of you, we always need to be recalibrated to get our focus back on you. The distractions and the circumstances of this world easily can lead us thinking and focusing on other things. So, Father, may you receive all honor, praise, and glory this morning. We thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I just want to share this little tidbit with you. Uh, you know, I, 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 how many people use the Bible app? The Bible app is a super, uh, uh, super cool uh, technical uh, technology that we have at our disposal. You know, back in the day, it was uh, it went from, you know, the word was passed down from ear to ear because only people that were wealthy 
and had an abundance of wealth were able to obtain the scriptures on scrolls. And so you had to retain the word. You would be in settings like this. People would eat together. Families would eat. And that's where the word would get dispersed. Um, you know, we, we're fortunate that we have access to the word of God on many different platforms. So some of you are old school. Like I'll probably never see Jean Scott on a phone looking at her Bible. She's going to have a probably a leather based Bible that's battered and tattered, been used, you know, and, and that's OK. And that's a good thing. You know, it's also good because when technology and the Internet goes down and you used up all your data, you better know where to go in the scriptures to refer to the text. But we are amen. But we also have use of technology. And so it's good to use these things. So as as is customary to when I get up after I pray in the morning, I usually go to the Bible app. That's the first thing I go to. And now they have this whole thing where they got different people and they're recording a, a video of them breaking down, dissecting whatever verse they came across. Uh, a lady, uh, she spoke this verse this morning and it really spoke to me about just the condition of the world and how we don't have to be fearful if we are humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we're living in obedience the best that we can. Obviously, we know that no one's perfect, but Jesus, but meaning the lifestyle we live, we're gearing more towards I want to live for the Lord rather than I'm trying to just live for the world and get all, all I can get out of this world right now. And so it's in Psalm chapter 127, verse one. You don't have to turn to it unless you want to. That's good finger work for you. Go ahead. It says, unless... The Lord builds the house. Those who build it labor in vain. That's deep. That's a whole message in itself right there. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And I was like, wow, Lord, this is amazing because this speaks to Jesus Christ needing to be the central focus in all circumstances. Don't get my words twisted. I'm not talking about being fanatical. I'm talking about understanding the premise that there is a creator God and you and I are not him. <laughs> and so being that that's the case, when the revelation of Jesus Christ comes upon your life and you are made aware that he is uh, all knowing sovereign, that he is the one that receives that should receive all glory and honor. It would be wise for us in our lives to submit all things under his rule. Amen. You see, he's the only one that can make things right. He's the only one that can make right what mankind has perverted and made crooked. It is the Lord who does these things. Um, an example, and, and, and it might be silly because you see me wearing one right now, but human solutions will never work. You know, it was interesting when I was looking at the news the other day. Now, masks for the pandemic. Everyone has their own opinion about it. I'm not going to get into that. While wearing a mask may curve the spread of the pandemic, I'm sure many of you are aware that uh, it's created its own set of issues as far as the disposal of these masks, or I, I should I say the improper disposal of these masks. I mean, they're, they're showing up all over uh, coastlines everywhere. They're, lo they're lost in the sea. These animals of the sea, they're getting all messed up with it. Uh, they don't break down the way they should break down because whatever they're made out of. And so landfills are, are, are being, you know, uh, just pummeled with all these masks. I'm sure you go to Lucky's or wherever you shop and you just see masks fl flittered everywhere. 
I mean, it's like, if you're gonna wear the mask, at least have the decency to put it and throw it away properly, right? But you know, you can't tell that to many people because people are like, hey, not my problem, probably got gloves too everywhere. But I use that example because this is a man-made solution to a problem that only God can solve. You see, the more we try to fix things with our human understanding, our human wisdom, we create more problems. It's okay, say we get out of the pandemic. But what's going to happen then with all these uh, masks that are all over the place and they're, they're just they're just messing up there. And then they, they keep calling it. Uh, what do they call it? They call it uh, global, global warming, all this and that. You know it, what? OK, what that is really, <laughs> it's a measure of God's judgment upon this earth. Right. You got New York flooded like it's never been flooded in the history of it, of its of its being. You got our state. I get fires happen and natural wildfires happen, but we're ablaze, uncontrolled. We need water. We're in a drought. We need water. They're flooding. What does that say to you? You don't need to be a rocket scientist to see this is the Lord slowly administering his judgment upon those who are choosing to live in a wicked and adulterous generation. And you see the ramifications of that. You see it's like it's a mess. You know, you see what's going on with down south and, 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 and these hurricanes and all this stuff. And it's it's not because of climate change and all that. It's because of sin. Let's just keep it real. But you say that and people will label you. You're 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 out of your mind. You're fanatical. We have the data to base this. It says that it's it's all based on climate. No, it's based on the fact that mankind is sinning and refusing to repent and turn to the Lord. And so you see these calamities occur. And unfortunately, we're going to see more of the same in the future. That's just kind of what's going on. That's where we're at on the history timeline for Jesus to return. Um, we have several main points uh, this morning for our text. And the first one is this believers are made to be sharing in the kingdom and our kings and priests in the victory of Jesus Christ. Man, this is a beautiful thing. This is something to grab hold of and, 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 and be grateful for because you get to partake in this as a child of God. You see, once you are saved, that's just the beginning. That is the best thing in the world to know that, you know, when I pass on, right? How many of you know that one day we're all going to, we're all going to be gone from here? Whether you want to go in a casket and pay all kind of money or you get cremated, you're going to go. You're going to go. There's no way around it. So there is a destination for all of us because our physical bodies will perish, but the inner workings of man and woman will live on for eternity. And so making that choice to receive Jesus as your personal savior, that guarantees you that you will be with him in eternity. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more crying. You know, all the things that we go through in this life doesn't matter where you are in life this morning. Every one of us here has walked through some kind of tribulation in life. Nobody has it easy. I don't even I don't care if you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You still don't got it easy. You think having millions of dollars is easy? Man, having millions of dollars stresses many people who have that money out so much. They can't get no rest. They can't get no sleep. The Bible talks about that. They toss and turn at night wondering what, what investment did what and who's going to do what. But when you have the peace that passes all understanding having the Holy Spirit live in your life, live in your heart because of your acceptance of Jesus Christ, you can have that peace. Whether you got a million dollars or whether you're dealing with, you know, you're getting a handout from the county. It's not about that. And praise God that God doesn't judge you based on that because many rich people are fools. Many rich people are wise people as well, but it goes to show you it's not about what you have, the have and the have nots. Do you have Jesus? That's the main thing. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was God's final prophet. 
All others before him spoke of his coming, spoke of his majesty all throughout the Bible. You see, uh, he is, speaking of Jesus Christ, he is God the Father's holy priest after the order of Melchizedek. We're not going to get too much into that, but that's an example back in the Old Testament. Uh, he is God's anointed King of kings and Lord of lords. We all know this already, most of us, but he died to pay for our sins that we could be forgiven and redeemed. Now that we see that as born again believers or children of God, we are set apart for his spiritual kingdom and we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. With that comes these promises that are given to us. We are now a, cho a chosen priesthood. We are a royal people. We are a holy nation. We are people of his possession. That is the church. I mean, man, that's that's nothing to scoff at. That's heavy stuff. That's that's such a privilege that we are able to be called these things and know that. So today, when you're walking through your circumstances, if you're a child of God and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what your circumstances say. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what your neighbor says. It doesn't matter what your boss says. You're a part of the royal priesthood. You're a child of God. Amen. You've been forgiven by the shed blood of the Lamb, and you are looked upon as His heavenly people. Well, there's a response that we should have to that, and that's to offer our souls, our bodies, our lives to be a spiritual and living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Well, how do you do that? What does that look like? Because it sounds like a bunch of fancy words. What does it mean to live a life of, life of sacrifice? It means to follow after Jesus. It means to live in a way that you reflect the love and the life of Jesus Christ to those around you. It's the way of living where you have an opportunity to make a whole lot of money, but there's some shady stuff you got to do. It's you keep your integrity, even though you need that money. <laughs> you're like, man, Lord, I need this money. And it just come upon me like that. Why does the Bible say, what, what, will, what will a person give? To gain the world, the riches of this world, the things of this world, but lose their own soul. It means you walk in integrity. It means the way you interact and how you deal with people, you deal with them accordingly. You deal with them out of love. You deal with them out of truth. You don't, uh, you don't slander. You don't backbite. You don't gossip. You walk with integrity. And integrity is what you do when no one's looking. right? Because it's easy to walk with integrity when we're all here together. And it's like, oh, I got to put my, my best foot forward. Oh, I'm the pastor. I got to play the part. What do you do when nobody's looking? What are you doing when you're home alone? Are you on some computer website you shouldn't be on? Are you dealing with something you're not supposed to be doing? Are you having illicit relationships you shouldn't be having? And I don't just mean, uh, you know, intimate. I'm talking about any kind of relationship. Are you living upright? That's what it means to live a righteous and holy, acceptable life unto God. This is important for us to know because that's our part of the deal. That's our part of the bargain. We get saved, but he leaves us here on earth so we can be representatives of, of his goodness and his grace and his mercy to everyone else around us. Because trust me, there's people in your sphere of influence, and that's a key word, influence, that you have the power to influence. Are you going to influence them in a way that is a good way, a godly way, or are you going to influence them in a way where they're just going to turn from God and they're going to keep doing their own thing and they're just going to walk further and further away from Jesus? Remember, we all have a date over our head nobody knows. And when that date comes, we're all going to have to give an account. It's not doom and gloom, 
if you know who you serve, but if you've made the decision and you're like, ah, I don't want to do it, then you know what? You probably should be fearing because when that day comes, it's not going to be pretty. Let me just keep it real with you. We don't keep it fake in this church. We keep it honest, clear cut. All right. The text doesn't mince words. It states every tribe of the earth will wail at the return of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 tell us, So at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we're either going to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, willingly, right? Where That's where conviction comes in. If you've ever been convicted, that means... You're like, man, you, you either did something that you wasn't right and you just got pierced in your heart about it. You couldn't shake it. It's like some people say it's your conscience. You can't shake the conscience of, man, I shouldn't have done that. I just I feel horrible. I feel terrible. That's a beautiful thing. You know why? Because God is showing you, hey, my child, I love you. You went the wrong way. Anyone who's a parent here, you know what it's like when your children go the wrong way. You try your best to show them, hey, that's not the way to go. This is the best way to go. Don't go that way. You're hurting yourself, right? As parents, we know that. That's God on a whole different level. He's like, man, I know which way you should go. You're going the wrong way. Turn back to me. That's that conviction. But with that conviction, you are able to see the error in your ways. And if you are wise, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The other side of that is rebel. (laughs) I'm not hearing it. I don't want to hear you. I'm going to ignore you. I, I don't, I don't, I don't. My conscience is seared. I, I, I don't get it. And I'm not going to get it. But you see, the reality is one day, if you and I do not humbly bow ourselves before God, and, that, and I'm not talking, it is physical, but it's also a mindset and a lifestyle of acknowledging that he is greater than I. If we don't do that, at some point, we are going to be forced to. We are going to be forced to. And some people say, well, how is God loving if that's the case? Remember, he's a righteous and holy God. He's also vengeful and wrathful and jealous. And since he's righteous, he has to administer righteous judgment. He loves so much that he's allowed the world to go on so long. You look at the news. You look at the things going on, not only in society, but worldwide. Again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see, man, this is crazy. These are crazy times we're living in. So much bloodshed, so much anger, so much hate, so much wrathfulness coming out of people. But yet God is so loving that he's like, even those people that are doing these despicable acts, he says, come to me, repent, and you'll be forgiven. Because, you know, the bottom line is none of us deserve his forgiving hand. So we can't look at other people and say, well, oh, man, that person did that despicable act. That's what makes us people and him God, you know. Oh, we could say, oh, this person here, they did such a horrible thing. They should burn in hell. You don't, I don't have the right to say that because only God has the righteous judgment to say whether or not someone is going to be in that position or not. And it's not for us to do. Uh, our, our responsibility is to respond in intercessory prayer and pray for these people and live a lifestyle that shows people the error in their way so that hopefully it can rub off of, of them and then they could turn to him and be forgiven. But this is what we see, the fact that if we do not humble ourselves before his mighty hand, we will be forced to. This revelation 
of the reality that all are held accountable for their actions will be another reason why all the tribes of the earth, when Jesus comes back, his second advent, and there's a lot of people that still say today, oh, you guys are a crock. It ain't real. He ain't come back yet. Well, you know what? What happened in Noah's day? Everyone was mocking him. There's, they've never seen rain. <laughs> They're like, why are you building this big old boat? It's not, nothing's going to happen. And what happened? Sure enough, when they were least expecting it, it rained. 40 days, 40 nights, flooded the whole earth, man. And just in the same way, people that mock saying he's not going to come back, he's not going to return, even though archaeologists have uncovered all kinds of stuff. So for people that need the physical evidence, I mean, they've already found so much stuff back in the Middle East. It already proves that Jesus Christ existed. You know, why do why why do people use the name Jesus Christ in vain when they hit their 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 nail when they're trying to thumb, uh, you know, hit hit a, hit a nail in a wall and they hit their thumb instead? What do they say? They don't say Muhammad. They don't say Harry Krishna. They don't say all these other people because there's no power in any of those fake false gods. They're all false idols. The name of Jesus Christ has power because he is the true Son of the living God. He is God, the triune, the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. Before time and space ever began, they had already counseled together on how they were going to create the world and how this plan of redemption was going to come into the world. They already knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall, that mankind was going to be plunged into this situation. Regardless if we want to believe it or not, that's the reality, and one day he will return. And that's why all the tribes of the earth are going to wail. They're going to mourn, you know, this whole pandemic thing we're going through. I keep saying it. This is child's play compared to what is going to go down probably in some of our lifetimes or our children's lifetimes. I can bet on that. The third and final main point is this. Sorry, I got kind of wrapped up in what I was sharing. I don't even know if I gave the second main point. Let's see. Second main point is this. All the earth will be in awe of Jesus Christ when he returns. Yeah, I didn't I didn't make it. I didn't put it out there like that. But that's the second main point that all of the earth will have to bear witness of who Christ is. All right. The third main point is this. Jesus Christ is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha is the first letter and omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. And this signifies that Christ is the first and the last. You see, from an alphabet. What do you make? What do you create out of an alphabet? What do you create out of letters? You create words, right? You create words. And Jesus Christ is called the word of God. The full revelation and intelligent communication of God to his creation. You see, revelation is God revealing himself to mankind. He's showing you and I how he is, his character, his characteristics, what he, what he believes is best for us to live. And that's what we find in the word of God is his revelation. It's like, again, many people have said it before. It's like a car manual for life. It gives you the instruction for how your life can live best. See, a lot of people say, oh, it's just a bunch of rules. Oh, man, you're keeping me from having a good time. You know, I want to ball out. I want to do what I want to do. Go ahead, ball out. Do what you want to do. I guarantee you, you're miserable underneath that veneer, thinking that you're so happy, thinking that the things of this world satisfy you. Why do you got to keep going back to all those things? Because they never satisfy. They lose their luster so quick, you're running back for more. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Drink from his living water. You'll never have to drink from the world's water again. 
Trust me. That's what the word of, don't trust me, actually. <laughs> trust the word of God. That's what he says. You see, the alpha is used by the Jews for the chief person of things. This is what their culture would do. They would say alpha, meaning to this person is chief. Uh, the Bible refers to Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. How many, uh, you know, masons or people who work in, in construction are here? Anybody work in construction? If you do, you know what you know what a chief you know what a cornerstone is. What is a cornerstone? What does it do for a building? You you know it's just it's just not it's just not on the tip of your tongue. The cornerstone it basically it, it secures. It's a, a Lou knows. So say, share what what a cornerstone is. That's a beautiful thing. Without that cornerstone. I mean, that, that, that building is going to be pretty flimsy and flabby. It's not going to have the stability it needs. It's not going to have the foundation it needs. And the Bible speaks of Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. You see, so when you build your life on, when your building blocks are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you go through. You're going to be sustained. You're going to be all good because your life is built upon the rock, built upon the principles that are meant for you to live the best way possible, even amongst adversity and trials and tribulations, as the word of God says, we are ultimately all going to go through. We're all going through it. Don't sit up here and say you're not going through it. I don't care if you, your house is nice and everything's paid for. You're still going through it. Everyone is going through it. Base your life on his rock and you're going to be all right. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and get into these verses. I'm going to try to keep this message somewhat short. <laughs> Don't worry, noontime comes, everyone's going to get food, but we got, a, we got a little bit of time. All right, Revelation chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, I'll read it again, just for the sake of reading it again. And it says, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Okay, so this first statement that he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father. This is what it's saying. He has made us kings and uh, priests. I'm not going to mince words. I don't think it was meant. It's not a masculine or feminine. So, you know, people could say, oh, well, how come there are no queens in there? That's why I don't follow God. Why do they say God's a he? This is, you know, we, we can get off in all that, especially nowadays with the whole you can be binary and I don't want to get into that. But you guys know it's getting nutty out there. This status that Jesus gives to those whom he loves because of his work on the cross that accepted him, we're washed in his blood. He gives us this authority, if you will, this privilege of being children of God, a priest uh, to his God and father and kings of to share in his, uh, his rule, if you will. It would have been enough just for him to love us and clean us, right? Clean us up. But he goes far beyond that. He says that he makes us kings and priests to his God and father. Now, this is another statement that people get. They mince it up. And again, remember, remember context is so important when we try to dissect scripture, because if we're not led by the Holy Spirit, we're going to we're going to we're going to come up with our own formulation and make scripture whatever we wanted to say. Some people would say, well, why does it read <laughs> to his God and father and not to our God and father? Because he's my father. Again, we have to understand context. This is it. We must remember that Jesus Christ's eternal position in the Trinity. So you got to have the foundation of understanding the Trinity. It's God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. They're all equal. 
separate in function, just like a man and a wife in a marriage. Nobody's above anyone else. Even though the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader, that doesn't say, that doesn't mean that his value is any more than the wife's, right? We know that because God was clear. It's, it's not good for a man to be alone. So he brought him a helpmate. Someone, and not just to, not to keep the house clean, to help him with ministry, to help him with the call on his life, right? We mix that up too. I'm getting off into a whole other tangent, but it's a, it's not a woman's place to just be in the kitchen, right? It's not, it's not. And if the woman's in the kitchen, best believe the husband's cleaning the dishes because that's what happens at my house. <laughs> but um, we must remember that uh, Jesus's eternal position in the Trinity is that of the son, capital S. He is the son of God. You see, that's how we get this translation to his God and father. He's speaking of Jesus Christ's father, father God. You see, we, you and I become children of God through regeneration. That's just a fancy word of saying being born again. When you're born again from above, again, when you accept Christ and you say, you know what? Okay, you are king. I submit, I surrender. I'm not going to fight you anymore. Whatever your will is for my life, let it be done. If you're real, show me, guide me. You better give me what I need if you're real because I don't know what to do anymore. That, when that supernatural act happens, that's conversion. That's regeneration. That's being born again from above. You instantly become part of the kingdom like that. You become part of the royal priesthood, if you will, when that happens. This is through acceptance of Jesus Christ. That's the big difference. You see... When you look at the first Adam, Adam, that, uh, you know, he named all the animals, right? And then Eve came, they got married, they did their thing. This is so much greater than Adam. Even in the innocence of Eden, that's the place where they lived, right? The garden where they lived. It never read that Adam was among kings and priests of God. No. So this in itself is worthy, is noteworthy to praise God about. The fact that you've been included into the kingdom of God, and you are now a priest, a part of the royal priesthood, being a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, we are God's kings in the sense that we are royalty. This is a privilege. This is a, a, a status, and this is authority. But notice that the first thing I said, it's a privilege. How many people know about privilege? Pri privileges mean that you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. But it's freely given. Because he's a loving God. He loves you and I so much that he says, I'm going to extend <laughs> all of this to you. What does the Bible say? Many mansions are in heaven. We talked about this last week. Walking on streets paved with gold. You know, I wear this with this wedding band that's made out of gold. I got some little diamonds in it. Back when I wasn't walking with the Lord, I was all about the, oh yeah, diamonds in my teeth and all that. You know, I, And it's like, that's nothing compared to what heaven's going to be like. We're going to be walking on what people will kill to wear around their neck and, and, and be, you know, flaunting. Oh, yeah, man, this cost me $50,000. People rob you, kill you, dead. Kill you at the drop of the hat for that $50,000 chain around your neck. We're going to be walking on that in heaven. You see how twisted the world is compared to the way God wants us to live? Would you kill a man for that? Would you kill a woman for that? Just to rock some Chanel? Just to rock some designer clothing? I mean, it's just so sad, but we, we fall into that when we don't have the framework and we're not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. A man, a woman will do many things. We represent God to man and man to God when we are in this line of 
uh, of acceptance, when we become priests, when we become part of the priesthood. And, 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 you know, I know sometimes people hear that word and because there's so much negativity attached to it, people can be like, well, man, all I know about priests is they do bad things. They don't do good things. They're caught up in all kinds of scandals and this and that. This is not what the word of God's talking about. This is talking about somebody who is walking upright, meaning above reproach, meaning who is submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ and not going about with their agenda and just holding the title. You see, you have to have discernment because many people that hold the title priest don't necessarily mean that they're a priest of God. They could be a priest of the enemy under the cloak of the name Jesus Christ or under the cloak of so-and-so church, just because they wear some kind of robe and they, they hold some gold goblet does not mean that they are truly righteous living for Jesus Christ. But this is what the Lord is talking about. Real true priests are representative of themselves and mankind to God. You see, we offer sacrifices unto him. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 tells us through him, then let us continually offer, offer up sacrifices and praise to God. That is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. We have the privilege and access to God's presence. You can read about that in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. One more thing, just to clarify this about kings and priests. This is in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was forbidden to combine the offices of kings and priests. King Uzziah of Judah is an example of a man who tried to combine the two offices and he paid the penalty dearly for that. You can read about that in Second Chronicles. Under the new covenant though, that which we are under, we can be like Jesus in the sense that he is both king and high priest. And that's found in Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. So there's a lot of things that, there's a lot that we benefit from by being children of God. And it stretches beyond the scope of just what you see right now, right? Because it's a spiritual kingdom that we're going to enter into. And these things have spiritual ramifications for your life when you accept Christ. Next, he says, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. In light of all that Jesus has done for us, it is right. It is only right for us to praise him. We should honor him with all glory and dominion forever and ever. When, but when the text says this, it doesn't mean we, we're giving him glory or we're, 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 we're giving him dominion. It's saying that we simply recognize his grandeur, his glory, his honor. And we're saying, I acknowledge you. I acknowledge you so, so much that my life is going to reflect that by my obedience to you. You see, faith is one of those words that it just becomes cliche-ish. Oh, I have faith. Oh, I have faith. You have faith? You have faith in the midst of a storm? Do you have faith when your, the chips are down? You see, it's easy to have faith when everything's going right and it's a sunny day and Taco Man's here. <laughs> it's easy to have faith, right? But it's hard to have faith when the chips are down and, and ain't nobody coming to visit you and the money's not coming in and so-and-so walked out of your marriage. It's not easy to have faith then, you know, but that's what we have to trust him and seek him and cry out to him. He knows He's waiting for you to acknowledge, I can't do it. We need to acknowledge I can't do life on my own. It doesn't work. I need you to intervene. Once you submit like that, oh, you better watch out because all kind of stuff is going to open up and you're going to see things happen that you never thought were possible because they're not possible through man. But through God, all things are possible, meaning all things that honor and glorify him. Doesn't mean he's going to give you a Maserati. Don't, don't, don't. Don't misconstrue that. Because some people say, oh, yeah, all things are possible. I'm going to win the lotto. 
But is that going to honor God? Unless you're going to give all that money to an orphanage, it ain't going to honor God, right? Because money corrupts. Money, the love of money, I should say, excuse me. There are plenty of people that are wealthy, that are very good people, that are very good godly people. So it's not money, but it is the love or the lust of money. Let me uh, correct myself. Okay, the application is this. To recognize the glory of Jesus Christ is simply just to live for him. Live for God. You see, we need to be unashamed of Jesus Christ before people. I don't know. Maybe that's partly why we're out here too. We're unashamed. I mean, nowadays it's like you can't really say anything without getting backlash for it. You know, it's like I can't say I believe in Jesus. All of a sudden I'm a bigot. All of a sudden I'm a racist. All of a sudden I'm this, I'm that. It's crazy. But you know what? We're out here. <laughs> we're not hurting nobody. We're proclaiming Christ. You know, we're not we're not sitting here with a megaphone telling people they're going to burn to hell. But you know, what? we're not going to be ashamed and hide in a closet about Jesus. I'm going to stand, proclaim Christ. And it doesn't matter because that's what I know is true to me. And I believe that this is a great quote from Charles Spurgeon. He's speaking of the church. Oh, this is so convicting. I got to share this. He says, some of you are like a mouse hidden behind a wall. You are in the Lord's house. But you are not known as one of the family. Sometimes you give a little squeak in your hiding place. And sometimes you come out at night as the mouse does to pick up a crumb or two without being seen. Ooh, man, that's convicting. He's saying that of the church. We're supposed to be the church, but yet we're afraid. We're ashamed. We won't even proclaim the name Christ. We'd rather go, go get back in on the dirty jokes our buddy's saying. Because we don't want to look like we're, we're ostracized. We don't want to stand up for Christ. So we'll say crude things. We'll act in a crude manner. Because we don't want to be judged. You better be willing to be judged. I mean, he put his neck out on the line for you. He died for you. So you could live eternally. The least you could do is say, you know what? I proclaim Christ. Yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I pray before my meals. I don't, I'm not ashamed of that. I'll be in public. And yes, we're going to do that. We're not going to just, oh, I'm in public, so I, I can't pray. <laughs> Who does that? But this is what Charles Spurgeon is saying here. Don't be like that little mouse hidden in the wall. You're in the Lord's house and you just pick up a crumb or two. You better be ready to proclaim Christ. The application is this. To recognize the dominion of Jesus is to let him truly rule over your life. If we truly say to him, yes, Jesus, you be the glory and dominion, then we must give him dominion over our lives. Simply put, that means you run things by him. You don't just haphazardly do things you just you pray about it you know i prayed about it before we came here i prayed lord would you have your will be done would you do what you want to do in this yesterday i have some you know i tell you i'm a shoe collector i have some shoes some brand new shoes i ain't never wore since me and my wife been married they're eight they're eight years old it was lord lord was like my wife had a bunch of stuff to take the city team lord was like get those jordans take them in the box give them to somebody over there and I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, would you bless whoever you've already prepared these for? But even in the smallest of things, we should bring things. Oh, well, maybe the Lord. Hey, I don't know. Maybe the Lord's calling you to give give a couple pair away. I don't know. Who knows? Hey, it's all good. We share that bond because, you know, I'm, I'm all about I'm all about the fresh kicks. You know what I'm saying? Um, but again, we run things by the Lord. Right. And, and some people say, oh, you're so weak. You're so weak that you got to pray about everything. You know what? Yes, I'm weak, and that's okay. I understand that I'm weak, but in Christ, I'm strong. What did Paul say? I boast in my weakness because I know that when I'm weak, Christ is going to work through that weakness and make me strong for his glory, and he's going to give me and fortify me in the ways that I need so I can go about life and live. But when we're prideful, the Bible's clear, pride comes before the fall. So yeah, you can be prideful, and maybe you might accomplish a few things, 
but be certain somewhere down the road, uh, you know, you're going to be headed for a fall. All right, let's keep it moving. Just real quick, the word amen, it's it's in the, in the ancient Greek language, it simply just means yes. It's confirming that this will be so, this will be done. So when we say amen, we're just proclaiming, yes, whatever we prayed about, this is what we want to happen. It will be so. And this is what the scripture says here when you see the word amen. It's not, is it going to happen? You know, no, it's going to happen in the Lord's timing. That's what that means. And again, it says, behold, he is coming. This is a, com this is a command to look, to check it out. The question is this, right? How many of us are looking for Christ? How many of us are waiting for his return? You know, he's at the door knocking. Are we are we are we concerned about that? When you see the events of the world unfolding as they are, are you thinking to yourself, man, Jesus, you could come in any day now. Like, I mean, I see the state of the world and, and things are getting real hairy. Things are getting real crazy, real nasty, real quick. Jesus could come at any time. But are we watching? Are we waiting for his return? The Old Testament promised the Messiah would return. And in Jesus's own words, he confirmed it. Jesus said, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. You can find that in John chapter 14, verse 3. Next, uh, our text says, he is coming with the clouds. Jesus will, when he comes back, he will be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. He will be surrounded by clouds. This will be true literally uh, because when Jesus left the earth, he the same way he was taken up in a cloud, right? He would return in the same manner. Um, think about the, the, the Shekinah glory, if you will, that's found in the Old Testament. Because clouds were commonly associated with the presence of God, with the presence of his glory. And, and, and all these things are explaining this about the Lord. Matthew chapter 26 verse 64 tells us, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a beautiful thing. Understanding this connection with the glory of God. What a wonderful thing that the multitudes are called a cloud. We are, when we return for that thousand year reign with Christ, remember, we're going to be partying for seven years at the wedding feast. Ooh, that's going to be off the hook. When we come back, we're going to be coming as, as a cloud coming with him that's a beautiful thing the next it says every eye will see him every eye every eye doesn't matter where you're at it's going to be such a magnificent thing that his cracking of the sky opening up the sky and coming back to this earth is going to get the attention of every single person that's alive at that time when jesus comes back it won't be a secret it's not going to be on the hush it's not going to be under the table. It's going to be live and direct in front of your face so you can see. Everyone will know. At his coming, when he first came, it was sort of obscure, right? I mean, he, he hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with, with people that were despised. And nobody gave him the respect that he deserved during his earthly ministry. He never made front page news in the Roman times. But when Jesus comes back... Every eye will see him. The whole world will know him. Again, Matthew chapter 24, verse 26 and 27 tells us, Therefore, if you say to you, if they say to you, excuse me, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightnings come from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. The application is this. When Jesus returns, 
there's going to be no dodging or ducking. You cannot run. You cannot hide. Everyone will have to acknowledge his lordship, even those who pierced him. This is speaking of the Jewish people, right? The Jewish people today in Israel, they still deny that Christ is the Messiah. But one day, the eyes uh, of their hearts will be open and the truth will be revealed of who Christ is. But at this time, when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back and he will come in love to those people, right? They're going to see, they're going to see. And he, he says in the text that when they see his pierced hands and feet, there will be a painful reminder of how they previously rejected him. Um, you can read about that in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that whole thing about, you know, they're just going to be tripped out. They're going to feel so convicted because all this time they rejected Christ. And then, oh, it's all good. You know, let kids be kids. He's, he's not doing nothing wrong. It's all right. Sorry, mama. I'm not trying to tell you how to, how to raise your kid. I'm just saying it's all, it's all good. All right. This last part, all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. When Jesus comes back, it's not just going to be the Jewish people that are going to be mourning. <laughs> it's going to be every people. It says all tribes of the earth. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 tells us this. Everyone will have a part in this mourning because everyone, it's going to become real to everyone. Like Jesus is real. Like he's not fake. He's not just he wasn't just a wise man who taught. No, he 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 really literally was God incarnate walking among mankind. He died a, a humiliating death to pour out his blood so we could be sanctified, so we could be made right. He ascended to heaven and he's been there ever since and he's going to come back and reclaim his church. Don't aren't you glad that you're going to get raptured? Why? I can't say because if, if we die before that, but I'm saying if you're alive when that happens, you're going to get raptured. You're going to be caught up with the Lord. You know, your eternal state is going to be of peace and joy, of love, of happiness, of truth. You're not going to have this, this feeling of angst of man, I should have did it. I should have accepted Christ, but now I'm apart from him for eternity. You see, it's not even about the flames of hell. It's not about that. That's part of it. And the gnashing of teeth and all that. But it's the fact that I had the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And I willfully rejected. I willfully rejected with the, with the clutch fist denying him. That's what's going to eat at you the most. If you end up apart from him in eternity, because you have the chance and you squandered it. That's the worst thing. It's the worst thing. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. We all have those those times in our lives where we coulda, shoulda, woulda, right? But that's gonna be the worst coulda, shoulda, woulda. That's the one that you do not wanna let go of. That's the one thing you don't wanna get away. Let Christ into your heart today if you haven't, amen? All right. Last verse. We're coming up. All right, verse eight. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay, so many translations. Uh, if you got a paperback book it pro or paperback Bible, excuse me, it's probably in red letters. This just means that the, all the translators concurred that this was Christ speaking about himself. John was finished introducing Jesus, and now Jesus is speaking on his own behalf. The title Alpha and Omega and the beginning and the end are, are titles that Jesus claimed for himself. Again, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is a beautiful thing because it gives us the idea behind these titles of who Jesus is. He's before all things and he's after all things. He encompasses it all. 
Again, we talked about it earlier in the beginning of the message. Alpha is the first letter of the ancient Greek alphabet and Omega was the last letter. Jesus is basically saying, I'm A to Z. I'm A to Z. I'm everything in between. I'm the beginning and the end. He holds all things in his hands. He's the one that is sovereign over life. That means that nothing catches him off guard. He understands all that's going on and he will administer justice properly at the right time. The application for our lives is this. We should not be given over to blind fate or some random meaninglessness or endless cycles of I don't know. We can trust that through Jesus Christ being the Alpha and the Omega, that he has a direct purpose and path for your life and my life and that everything will work out according to his will and to his plan. All right. It says I have two more two more uh, pieces and we're done. It says who was who is to come. This shows again that this phrase communicates the idea behind the greatness and the majesty. It's all good of who God is, the triune God, Yahweh. It reflects his eternal nature and his unchanging presence, the fact that he was who is and is to come. Right? Micah prophesied this. Uh, and in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it also expresses this about Jesus Christ, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'll end with this, the Almighty. The word Almighty literally means the one who has his hand upon everything. That's why sometimes when we pray, we pray, Lord, would you please keep your hand upon my life? Please keep, please keep your hand upon my family. May your hedge of protection be around them. It speaks of his great sovereignty and control that Jesus has over all things. You might say, well, well, if he's in control, then why are all these things out of control? It's because he gave us free will. And mankind, women, choose to do whatever they want, and so you see the backlash of that. You see the corrupt nature of living against God's way, and that's why you have bloodshed. That's why you have inconsistency. That's why you have unloyalty and mistrust, because people are living their own way. But God's still sovereign over all things. You see, this book, the book of Revelation, has a striking emphasis on God's sovereignty, understanding that he, that his hand is upon everything. May we truly be people who live by faith, believing that his hand is upon everything in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for just this opportunity to, to dive into your word, Lord, to uh, expound, to share your truth to people that hearts may be changed. Lord, would you do a radical work in all of our lives today? Father, I pray as we leave this park, our lives would be different. Lord, that we would have experienced you today, even if it was just a glimpse of your majesty. May you do a work in our hearts that only you can do. And Father, may you continue to watch over us and protect us and guide us, Lord. Help us to share the love of Jesus with those around us and may we boldly proclaim you and not cower away at the face of danger. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.